Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to Soundview Live, the interactive webinar series featuring today's top business authors. I am your host, Becky Clement. Today, we are pleased to have Christy Hedges with us. Christy is the author of The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day. Along with being an author, Christy Hedges is also a serial entrepreneur, communications expert, and leadership coach. In her 20-year career working with leaders to help them communicate more effectively, she's encountered every personality type imaginable, and she's helped all of them learn leadership presence. Her workshops and coaching programs have been utilized globally by companies spanning the Fortune 500, government, nonprofit, and privately held corporations. Christy also runs her own coaching practice, The Hedges Company, and is a founding partner in the leadership development firm Element North. At this time, I would like to welcome Christy Hedges to Soundview Live. Christy, I'm going to turn the webinar over to you. Well, thank you, Becky and Soundview. Very excited to be talking with everybody today about uh, one of my favorite topics, inspiration, uh, and specifically how we can inspire and energize in everyday conversations. Uh, thinking about inspiration is something that every leader can do every day uh, and what that looks like. Uh, and so uh, with that, I'll just start by saying welcome to this conversation. Really, really happy to have you here. Uh, you know, everybody who's listening I know cares about inspiration or you wouldn't be listening to this webcast in the first place. So uh, I know that I have a, a group of folks out there who are interested in being more inspirational, maybe being more inspired yourself. Uh, and so we're going to cover all of that today. We're going to talk about uh, how we can be uh, more inspirational, as I said, just on a regular basis. And, and one of the ways you might want to listen to the content today is thinking about not just how can I do this for other people, which is kind of the, the core of what we're talking about, uh, but also the, the second message is here is how can I make sure I have more of this in my own life, on uh, my own day-to-day -day basis, so that I can stay inspired as a leader. So uh, with that, uh, I thought we might jump in first, and I can kind of talk to you a little bit about uh, what led me to to write uh, this book and to be so curious about this topic of inspiration? Uh, so in 2011, I published a book called The Power of Presence, and, and that was really a book about leadership presence and about influence. Uh, and you know, as I would go out and talk to groups, you know, you hope that you get in front of an engaged group, ready to sort of jump into the content. But you know, just as often, you're in front of a group of people who uh, are a little tired. It's early in the morning, and and they're sitting in the room, just wondering kind of what's this all about, and and how's it going to be relevant to them. So in order to get people talking, and to, as a bit of an icebreaker, I started asking uh, a question, which was, uh, "Who inspired you, and why?" 
So I'd be out there talking to groups, again, workshops, conferences, whatever the case might be, uh, about uh, presence, and I would ask this question, and, and immediately uh, the energy in the room would shift. Uh, and as people would start talking to each other, you would see these kind of sparks flying off of people, and their eyes would light up, and they would get very animated, and the, the energy in the room would go from maybe a 2 to a 10. Uh, and and you would see just the effect that this had on people. And then in the debrief, we would talk about you know the inspirational people that had been in their life and and what they had, uh, what they had done and what the effect these people had had on them. And I would hear from people about everybody from you know a teacher they had in elementary school to relatives to their current boss to uh, a peer at their company to a friend and every once in a while just a complete stranger. Uh, these conversations that people had uh, had um, very consistent behaviors attached to them and so as I went and did this I started just noticing and writing down well gosh I heard that before I heard that before I heard that before uh, and collecting these behaviors that were part of of inspirational leadership or part of people who had inspired other people. And I found you know, very quickly that first there was a lot of commonality uh, and second that what we call inspirational leadership in organizations isn't equal to what I heard inspirational leaders actually do. Uh, so if we think about inspirational leadership, you know, in organizations, and I'm in a lot of leadership development programs, you know, delivering uh, part of that content. So I see the as a broader discussion of inspirational leadership in organizations. Again, it, it, it's great as a great talk. We should be talking about these things, um, but it, it is often associated with kind of these larger-than-life personalities, or um, you're trying to get people to rouse a crowd, or we talk about it in terms of an over overarching vision or mission for the organization, uh, you know, good stuff, just not what I heard in terms of what actually inspires people on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and in fact, those behaviors were much more, um, were, were sort of small in scope, and they were intimate and personal and very connected uh, and not large at all. They were, they were exactly the opposite. And so, you know, that kind of started me down on this road of how do I understand what inspiration actually looks like? And, and do we have some misinformation about the behaviors that we should be instilling in our leaders and organizations so that they're, they're true inspirational leaders, not just about inspirational leadership, uh, which might not be the same thing. So I started by looking at the social science research that was out there, and, and there was quite a bit on inspiration. And in fact, there are two researchers, Elliot and Thrash, who have been studying inspiration for two decades. Uh, and what they found is that when people are inspired, it's not kind of a bolt of lightning that we might think it is. In fact, it's actually three processes that are that are occurring, uh, co-occurring. Uh, the first one is uh, what they call transcendence, and that's really an awareness of a new or better possibility. So this is the trigger, if you will. Uh, we sort of have to find you know, something new or different that, that inspires us and makes us change our perspective. The second one they call evocation, and that's a receptiveness to an influence outside of ourselves. And so we have to be receptive. And so this is kind of frustrating sometimes for leaders is that you might have somebody on your team who's just not receptive uh, and, and it's not going to get through. Or you notice that in yourself, you know, I, I sort of jokingly talk about this in regard to reading. You know, I've, I've read, uh, you know, books by certain authors, for example. I use the Eckhart Tolle, if, if you um, have heard of him, uh, and he's sort of a futurist and philosopher. And I read him in my 20s and I thought, what is this guy talking about? And then I read him in my 40s and I thought, you know, he's a genius. Uh, so it, it's just where are you in your life? Are you receptive to the message or you're not? Um, and finally, motivation. 
this is that burn, that feeling compelled to bring the idea into action. It's, it's that feeling like, I'm going to do this. It's the conviction. Uh, and so when all of those three uh, components hang together, that's what inspiration looks like. And so as leaders, we can't force somebody to be inspired. You can't come into work and say, you know, I'm going to be an inspiring leader today and I'm going to inspire you. Uh, inspiration, we decide for ourselves. Uh, what we can do as leaders is actually, uh, you know, become the trigger, lay the, the, the groundwork for people to be inspired. In fact, show up in a way that increases the chances dramatically that the people around us will be inspired. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's really what, uh, in my research, I was sort of trying to do to put this encapsulated in a way that people could understand, you know, how do I be inspiring if that's the kind of leader I want to be? Um, what levers can I actually push? So uh, I, I looked at uh, all the behaviors and, you know, hundreds of interviews that I did with leaders. Uh, also, uh, you know, counterbalanced that with some uh, quantitative research uh, that uh, that I also commissioned uh, to figure out what, what are these behaviors. And so this is what I came up with. Um, I call it the inspire path. And again, it really is a path because we can't push somebody down the inspiration path. We have to lay the breadcrumbs or put the stepping stones down that increase their chances of being inspired. And we're most likely to inspire people when we're present. I heard about uh, how focused the attention was of somebody who inspires us. So they really just they focused their attention on us. They made us feel important. Uh, they were centered. Inspirational leaders, they're not distracted or, you know, have kind of frantic energy. But there's a, there's a core centeredness to people that allows us to also anchor back to our own center. Uh, they're open-minded. They're not trying to game us or manipulate us or even persuade us. Uh, but they're open to the situation. Uh, they're personal. They're real. Uh, again and again, I heard, oh, gosh, well, no matter what level that person was, they talked to me like a, like a real person, like a peer. They were authentic. I knew what they were about. Uh, they're potential focused. So they are quick to note the potential in other people. Inspirational leaders build our own potential because they see something in us that maybe we left unrecognized or we only had an inkling of, and they grow it um, by pointing it out. And they're great listeners. They, they're, they're able to really put aside whatever else is going on to, to be fully in the conversation and listen. They are passionate. Uh, I heard about how people had you know, energy and they used their energy very strategically. They knew their energy was a tool. Uh, they were emotional. They shared emotion. And, they, and because of those things, we knew what they cared about. They had conviction. Uh, and finally, they were purposeful. They were led by purpose. They were willing to be in conversations about purpose. They showed us their purpose as role models. They talked about the purpose that they had for themselves. And they were courageous about it. And that unlocked the ability for other people to feel like they had the right uh, to, to you know, walk into their own purpose as well. So those are the four P's, as I call them, to be maximize our inspirational impact. We are present, we're personal, we're passionate, and we're purposeful. So I also, you know, I had this list of behaviors, but as I mentioned, I did some quantitative research too. I commissioned a poll with the Harris Poll. 2,000 U.S. adults were surveyed, asked them what are the most inspirational behaviors of someone who's inspired them. Uh, and this is what came back. Uh, the number one most cited inspirational behavior was that the person listened to them. Uh, so think about all of the effort that goes into inspirational leadership 
having the right message, saying the right thing, uh, you know, getting it, you know, having complete clarity of our thoughts and our words. Uh, in fact, what's most inspiring to people is not perfect speaking, it's perfect listening. Uh, so the person was really able to, to listen. Uh, and the second one is they spoke with authenticity. So back to the real point, it's not about having this uber professional demeanor or being calm in any situation. Uh, what inspires us is we're talking to somebody who's telling it to us straight. They're, they're real and they're there and they're listening. Uh, and so by doing these things, what they really are often able to do is create a space for us to have our own insights. Uh, and so that's, again, we own the inspiration for ourselves and so, so that's what is inspiring uh, to us and to others. So what I thought I would do today is to go through each of the four P's and just spotlight some areas with some tactics for how you can be more inspirational in your own life, in your workplace, your community, wherever you want to be. This, this quality works everywhere you take it. It's portable. Um, we're talking about leadership today in a, in a you know, uh, organizational setting, but again, you can use it however you want to think about it. Uh, we'll go th so we'll go through each of these and we'll start with being present and I'll share some of the findings um, in each category. So. You know, being present should be the easiest thing in the world, right? We just show up and we, we're there with somebody else and we're focused on them. Uh, but in fact, you know, being present, uh, as most of us know in, in our regular life, is incredibly difficult. Uh, and it's because of a couple of things. There are external factors like distraction. We're distracted by technology devices. We're distracted by the pace of our environment. Uh, and often we're in a state in organizations of overwhelm. We have uh, too many meetings to go to and too many things to reply to. Uh, and so that creates sort of this uh, this unfocused state that many of us have where we're just, you know, can barely focus on what's in front of us. And so we, we show up in a very distracted way. Uh, and we also have internal uh, issues to, to front. Uh, we have a series of biases that, uh, that humans have, these uh, cognitive biases um, that are studied so, so much in psychology and behavioral economics and such. Um, things like confirmation bias where really instead of being present we're looking for information that confirms what we already think. Um, anchoring which is when we get stuck on one particular idea or number or fact and it's hard for us to actually see the full picture. Recency bias, which, uh, you know, the thing that happened last is what we spend most of our time thinking about. Uh, you know, this, this is often a, a frustration in reviews, for example, where we talk too much about something that just happened versus what happened over the course of the year. Our arbitrary coherence, which is what we just sort of uh, uh, in error uh, assume that things are uh, related when they're not. Uh, and so, you know, we have a lot of this going on, so it's hard to be present. So here's what I found that we can do. This is sort of one of those simple but powerful things to be more present that we actually can enact. Any of us can do. And it's if you want to be present, just simply say you're going to be present. So it sounds crazy easy, but here's how it works. When we go into an important conversation, one where we think we might want to be inspiring, uh, we want people to change or think differently, or even if it's a one-to-one -one and we want somebody to you know, tackle something, a bigger project, if we go into that and we simply say in the beginning, this is really important to me, so I'm going to be fully present for this conversation, I want us to you know, step away from the desk, we're going to have it at this table, I'm going to turn off all my devices, uh, and this is the most important thing going on for me right now, 
if we do that, we are much more likely to actually honor that commitment, uh, and it also changes the nature of the conversation just by stating that. Uh, it makes it a different type of conversation. Uh, there was, you know, some great research from Virginia Tech uh, when I was doing uh, research for the book that I came across where if there is a cell phone on the table in a conversation, even if it's turned off, uh, turned over, not making any noise, just visible, it changes the nature of the conversation. There's less empathy expressed in the conversation and it's less satisfactory uh, for the participants. Uh, so, you know, just this, this idea that we're going to focus on somebody else when we make that point has a real impact in the nature of the conversation, both how it goes and how it's viewed. Another thing that we can do to be more present is to ask different types of questions and to be very curious, to stay curious. And you can see here I have examples of closed questions and these are the ones we commonly ask in the workforce. Those are lots of why questions, closed-ended questions that could be answered with a very simple yes or no uh, and or kind of put us on the defensive. If you think about the difference in uh, the first one here, a why question versus a curious question, which curious questions by the way are led by curiosity. They typically begin with what and how. Just how you would answer these questions differently. Why are you here versus what brings you here? Uh, you can just sense like how much more expansive your answer would be under the curious question versus the closed question. Uh, and when we're present and curious, that's what we're really doing. We're creating space for people to do their own thinking. So when we ask these what and how questions, we're more likely to get into that insight area where people can think through their thoughts in a different way. We learn more, they learn more, um, because we're really giving them a chance to self-persuade because we're creating that, that avenue for them to do it. But one of the things we can just keep in the back of our minds when we're trying to be present is this idea that uh, uh, I call NATO, not attached to outcome. It's a cute little pithy acronym here. Uh, and really what it means is that you know we are not holding tight to our agenda in these conversations. So people are less likely to be inspired by us if we're trying to influence or persuade them in a very particular way. Uh, you know, when we're inspiring, uh, we, we might desire something. When we're only human, we might want to see an outcome. Um, but we hold that lightly so that if we if it goes in a little different direction we're willing to go there with the other person so if they have a different um, interpretation you know we can certainly ask great questions and help them think through it um, but we're not trying to push them to a certain outcome uh, we're just going to be less inspirational that way uh, and the difference between influence and inspiration we might want to think about it in this way. So if you have a great day at work and you go home and you say, you know, gosh, that was a wonderful day at work, you're never going to go home and say, I had a great day, I was influenced all day long. Right? It's it's kind of comical to even think that. But we absolutely would go home and say, I had a great day, I was inspired all day today. Uh, so those feel differently. Influence has a push with it. Uh, and so when we, we can self-manage a little bit, say, you know what, I'm going to go into this conversation and stay open to it, um, we're much more likely to inspire because we're not attached to our own outcome or agenda. So step two here is being personal. Uh, and again, you might say, wow, you know, being personal shouldn't be that hard. Um, but we know it gets a little tricky in work. Uh, and part of it is this idea of the authenticity paradox where 
you know, we know we want to be authentic at work, and most of us have environments now where we hear about, you know, how important it is to connect with people and make sure that your your team knows you and all this stuff. Um, but that's also conflicted with the idea that we have to be a leader and we have to show up and be the boss. Uh, we're not quite sure how much authenticity to communicate, or maybe we're an introvert and, and we don't really like to share all that much about ourselves, or, you know, that's not the most comfortable place for us. Uh, whatever the case is, we kind of get into this uh, this paradox, uh, and and sometimes people things just feel uncomfortable that that we're being asked to do. And so one of the ways we can think about being uh, what authenticity looks like is just being being real, trying to as much as we can, um, you know, be the same person that we are in other areas of our life and bring that person to work. Uh, and also the idea that sometimes authenticity adapts. Like what's what feels authentic to us in one uh, time in our life might not feel. Um, you know, or what doesn't feel as authentic to us rather at one point in our life might feel very authentic later as we, you know, get more comfortable with it. I mean, many of us can remember early in our careers something we were asked to do that felt very inauthentic, like perhaps uh, presenting in a meeting, you know, 20 years later, that's, that feels very natural to us because we've done it so much. So authenticity absolutely is something that adapts. Uh, so, you know, in terms of being personal, one of the things to keep in mind is that uh, you know, all one of the most basic human needs, I love this quote by Ralph Nichols, who's considered the father of listening research, is to be under, to, is to understand and to be understood. And the best way to understand people is to listen to them. And so you, know, you saw that listening was uh, the top rated behavior um, for inspiring people. Uh, and you know, it's because listening has such great power. Uh, listening feels a lot like care. Uh, when someone's listening to us, it feels like they care about us, uh, and attention feels like respect. So it's it's impossible to inspire somebody if we're not listening to them very well and we're not attentive to what they're saying because it feels like people don't care about us or respect us. Uh, and so the flip side of that is we try to listen and we try to give our full attention. It changes the conversation and how people feel. Uh, and you know this this graphic here shows what's generally happening in a conversation. You know, rarely is uh, there actually one conversation going on. So you can see in the, in the yellow boxes here, that's the spoken conversation between these two individuals at work. Uh, the man is saying, can you get that to report to me by Thursday? And she's saying, well, I'm in the middle of a few things, so I'm going to try my best. But you can see in the thought bubbles, there's actually a different conversation going on. And that's maybe the more real conversation, right, how people actually feel about it. Um, where you know he's feeling about uh, that she's always late with deliverables, and and she's feeling like he doesn't really understand what's actually going on and what what she has to manage at work. So in any conversation, it plays out just like this. If there are multiple conversations, there's the conversation that's spoken and the conversation that's in each of the of the people speaking's heads, uh, and and that creates a lot of noise and a lot of uh, inability to truly listen. And we know when people are doing this because we can see them kind of drift off into their own thought bubble. Um, which might be about the conversation and a subtext of the conversation, or it actually might be about their, you know, activity after work that they have to go do, or something they have to pick up, or, or whatever. We we drift in and out of conversations all the time. So when we want to be fully attentive to somebody, to really focus on them, um, one of the ways we can do it is by shifting our listening. Uh, and there are different shifts that you can make. And with this, I say, can pick one that you feel like works for you. You certainly don't have to do all of them. Uh, but you know, see what makes sense for you. And and when we're in these conversations, and you know, we can think about for a second how we're listening and just zoom out uh, and broaden our listening, and we'll take in a lot more information. And again, that has an effect on the person. So 
instead of listening for facts, we listen for the whole person. That means we look at their body language, look at what they're saying, we look at what's not being said. Uh, you know, we, we zoom out and we just take in more information. Uh, instead of listening for text, you know, in the graphic, that's the words people are saying, we listen for text and the subtext. Uh, and the subtext might be the context uh, that uh, we know, or the history, or the culture, or uh, the elephant in the room, whatever you want to call it. And the most inspiring conversations are when we can pierce the text with the subtext. So we bring the subtext into the text. So uh, you know how much more rewarding that conversation would have been or helpful if uh, if they had actually been talking about what was in their thought bubbles versus just talking about you know the basics. And we can assume that 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 relationship's not going to change that much because you know they're not really talking about what's real. Uh, the second, the third one is listening for what you need. Uh, you know, so that's a kind of okay, just just listening for those facts to get to what you need versus listening for what the other person needs to say. Uh, not always the same thing. Uh, so we often will rush people through a conversation because we're just trying to pick out the facts that we need to hear so we can make our own decision versus sitting back, uh, creating some space, and just listening for what the other person needs to say. Uh, and then finally, listening to judge. Uh, most of us in, in a point in our career get really good at analyzing things. That's probably why we're successful. We can deduce things pretty quickly, so we listen to judge. We're listening to make to draw the conclusion to make the decision uh, versus listening out of curiosity. And that's you know asking some of those curious questions and just staying in the conversation to a greater degree. Now let me make this point about these listening shifts. There are times when we're just trying to get work done and we're trying to get to the bottom of something that happened where being to the left side of this column is exactly where we want to be. We want the facts, we want the text, we want to hear what we need and we need to make a decision. That's just not what we're talking about when we're in inspire path conversations, when we're trying to inspire someone to be an inspirational leader, to be in those broader conversations, then we want to be on the right side. Uh, and so you know, kind of thinking about also what, what does this conversation deserve? If you're doing uh, a development conversation with someone, for example, where we're trying to really figure out what's next for them, you want to be on the right side, not on the left side. Uh, and so maybe this is a way to help you kind of think about uh, those, those conversations. And my coaching clients often find this very helpful to, to think about what side of the column they should be on. Uh, and so finally here on personal, uh, what I heard again and again is that uh, we talked about potential in the opening, that people who inspire us, they build up potential in other people. Uh, and Sidney Finkelstein was one of the folks that I interviewed in this process, and he wrote the book Super Bosses, which was a great book you might be familiar with. And he talks about how super bosses, and these are people who are just sort of spinning out talent all over the place, uh, that people work for them, go on to do such great things, how they were just amazing at showing potential. And it doesn't have to be hard. So spotlighting potential is a really easy thing because we already see the potential in other people. Certainly if they're on our team, we see it all the time, we might not say it. Uh, and so this is really just verbalizing the potential that we see in people. Uh, and here are just some simple ways to say it, right? It, it's not uh, it's not all that complicated. Uh, I see great potential in you. You're always good at synthesizing information in meetings. I'm so proud of you for taking on that difficult client. You're really good at getting in there and solving difficult, uh, complex problems. That's such a skill for you. Uh, let me share what I see as possible for you with your background and what you can accomplish and your skill set. You would be great at these things and in, in along in your career. Uh, and we can't underestimate just the impact we can have by just calling out 
potential sincerely and specifically for other people. Uh, I heard so many times stories of someone who saw something in, in the people that I was interviewing uh, that changed how they thought about themselves. Uh, even when I you know, was out talking to people about the book, I was at a, at a work-related cocktail event and I was talking to a colleague about what I was working on and, and he said, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was in high school, I had this English teacher who uh, told me that she saw great writing potential in me. And he said, you know, I was a math kid, so I never really even thought about myself uh, in that way. And so in the bus in the morning, I would, I would spend the time working on my essays, you know, to really fulfill this potential that she saw in me. And I realized I had such a love for it, and, and he ended up going to law school, and now he's a very successful attorney. Uh, and all of that was led by this potential that a teacher saw. Uh, but it's not always just a teacher. Again, it's it's people that we work with, uh, and our our colleagues and our peers have a, have a um, a big role in this too. Um, you know, when peers give us that kind of feedback, uh, it has a huge impact. So you know, whether it's a leader or anyone, we can call out potential uh, for those around us, no matter where they are. Uh, so that's personal. So let's move on to passionate. Uh, you know. Passion is something that, that we love to see in, in people. We borrow their passion. Uh, passionate people pump us up. Uh, but passion is not a monolith. It's not as if there's just uh, sort of passion or, or not passion. There's uh, gradations to it. And uh, when, when I studied passion, I looked at it in three components. Uh, it was energy, uh, that, that real kind of visceral energy that people convey, emotion, uh, inspirational leaders, we know what they care about, and then conviction, and, and, and how much conviction they show. And all of that is kind of encapsulated by two factors that are, that are always at play, which is self-awareness. Inspirational leaders are aware of how they're showing passion, and other awareness. They're aware of, of how much the environment um, you know, should have injected into it. And so they're really using it strategically, uh, and it's matched to the situation. One way to think about our energy, for example, is something that's something that we can calibrate. We can dial our energy up, and we can dial our energy down. Uh, and and our goal to be most inspirational is really to meet our audience in the middle. And and let me give you an example of this. I, I was working with a company with an executive team that had a new CEO, and the CEO had come in to really turn around the company. And and I met with the CEO first. And his energy was just through the roof, and I thought he was so just phenomenal, engaging, and I, and I came out of that going, wow, this guy is really the right person to take this company forward. And then I went and met with the executive team members, and their energy was so, so far down the scale from the CEO. And their description of him was sort of, who is this guy, right? I mean, does he, is he just naive? Does he not understand, like, what? the actual situation is here, what the problems are, uh, and and his energy was kind of so far apart from theirs that they were having a little bit of organ rejection, if you will, in the environment. Uh, and so he needed to calibrate that energy. Uh, and so the way we want to think about this is really, you know, just on a scale of one to ten, right? If, you're, if your audience um, you know, is a one and, and, you know, you're a 10, then you need to be around a five to six, right? Five and a half. You want to be ahead of your audience because you want to be using your energy to propel them forward. Uh, but we don't want to be so far ahead of them that, uh, that we're losing them. So it's, it's something that we're always dialing up or dialing down. Uh, and, and inspirational leaders know this and they use this very well. Uh, they also show emotion. And, uh, and one of the 
you know, most simplest tactics we can do in terms of bringing more emotion into our leadership is to use emotion words. Uh, often in a desire to be sort of corporate, um, using air quotes here, or uh, to, to be uh, exceedingly clear, we speak in non-emotional terms. We take the emotion out of our of our language and uh, if you look at earnings calls for example you can see that most of them are delivered in a very flat way so that it's kind of difficult to even figure out if the earnings were good what did the CEO think about the earnings was it positive or negative uh, we, we get a lot of kind of um, a flat affect if you will when we, when we hear from leaders from this standpoint um, where those were inspired by they share their emotions quite readily uh, and they use these kind of words that you see on the screen uh, they show confidence, they talk about, you know, they use words like significant, worthy, valuable, proud, or urgency, you know, we're anxious, this is important, we need to mobilize, we're missing out. Uh, anger even is an important emotion that leaders show. Again, it's calibrated, they're not just sort of, you know, sort of having angry fits all over the office, that's not helpful, um, but, uh, but, the, but, but calibrated anger is really important. There are times in an organization where we are frustrated, we're disappointed, we're irritated, we're let down uh, by that, something that's happened, and being able to communicate that, uh, those emotions very clearly uh, and, again, very, and again readily uh, is part of showing emotion in a powerful way. Uh, and so I wrote an article recently for Harvard Business Review uh, about using emotion at work uh, and how we should think about the importance of that in the leadership role. Uh, as, you know, even if we've kind of been trained early in our career to not be emotional at work, there comes a point where we really need to share emotion as a leader in order to build a followership because people are only going to feel the emotion that we're able to convey. So if we want people to feel confidence, we need to convey confidence. And the words come into play because often we're not even in the same office with people who work for us and so we're leading people who are you know maybe around the world and we see them once a year so our words become in this case uh, even more important um, to show up in that real way to, to show up in a way that uh, people get what we're about another strategy is is story and and most of us have heard that leaders should tell more stories well one of the reasons that stories are so inspirational is because to go back to those those three areas that uh, the social science model of inspiration by Elliot and Thrash um, stories do make us aware of something new when we share a story it, it opens our mind to something that we hadn't seen before and stories encourage receptiveness because we're not forcing someone to listen right they, they they'll take from our story whatever they want to take from our story so it's an invitation versus a push a story is just an invitation you can you know listen how you want to listen to it uh, and finally because they can see vicariously in the experience what we've been able to do or someone else has been able to do in our story it creates that energy um, that compulsion to do something so stories are very inspirational because they hit all of those things at the same time and leaders could tell you know different types of stories there's you know many types of stories this is just a few of the examples that that leaders uh, might want to think about telling more of uh, challenge stories the kind of we can do this stories uh, relating stories or the you know I get you I used to have that job I know what that's like uh, metaphoric stories often underused but really really impactful 
so we're just using some sort of metaphor to help people sort of, uh, you know, take a couple of steps up outside of the situation and look at it in a different way. They don't have to be grand metaphors. If you think about the roller coaster, which is, you know, a very used and overused metaphor, it still can be really helpful. Uh, you know, if you have an organization going through change, to be able to say, kind of, here, here's where we are on the roller coaster. We've just gone over the first big hill, uh, and we feel good because that's behind us. Uh, and so we can relax a little bit because we have a little bit of time, but there's another hill coming, and this one's even bigger. So that's where we are right now. Uh, and so letting people see it a little differently based on that metaphor. Vision stories are about imagining. Uh, potential stories are, are vision stories for people, you know, thinking about where somebody's going to be. So we talked about calling out potential. One of the ways we can do that is by using potential stories. Uh, cautionary tales, we know what those are. Uh, and then humor, uh, so impactful and can be very inspirational because humor is, uh, you know, it, it relaxes us. It's a way to, for, for people to sort of um, reach a, a state of being kind of centered and a little more calm and they're able to be receptive and take in the information uh, that, uh, you know, that, that we might want to convey. A good story doesn't have to be, uh, you know, have 25 parts. It just has to have a few things to make it uh, a very inspirational story. A clear moral or purpose. There's a reason we're telling the story. There's a personal connection. The best stories are personal. And so back to the inspirational piece, personal was the second part of it. It also helps people understand and know us as leaders if we use those personal stories. Uh, they're common reference points. Uh, in other words, people can see their situation and what we're talking about. Uh, detail characters and imagery. Uh, the rule here is that uh, we want to use as much character and imagery detail so that people can see what we see in our mind's eye. So enough description that people can lock it in. Uh, research tells us that stories are, are stick, a sticky medium, so we remember information and stories far greater than we do facts or figures. Uh, and uh, and so you know sometimes ten times more you know in terms of the research that I, there's just some research out saying that a couple weeks ago and it's all pretty uh, consistent we retain stories the reason we retain them is this visual aspect we can see the story there's conflict or vulnerability or shared achievement we can relate to uh, and there's a pacing there's a beginning and an ending and then the some sort of segue back to the topic it, it the story comes back around to reinforce uh, the point. Uh, so this kind of story can happen in two minutes. It can be an anecdote, it can be an example, or it can be a larger personal story. Uh, however you want to take it, it's the sharing of them uh, that creates that, that passion that shows the emotion and brings a lot of those other elements uh, into, uh, into the, the conversation. So finally we'll talk here about being purposeful. Uh, you know, leaders who inspire us, uh, they, they show up with purpose in a couple of ways. They're, they role model it. Uh, we know what uh, their purpose is. They're very vocal about it. They talk about what their values are. They talk about what they're trying to accomplish in their career. They're openly um, committed to sharing it. Uh, they lead by purpose and they help others to find their purpose. Uh, and so what's that mean? How do we actually do that? So here's a, a way to think about it. Uh, this is based on motivational theory about uh, what inspires people, what motivates them. Uh, and leaders can be uh, engaging in these conversations uh, whenever they want. So uh, it's a way to 
uh, bring up uh, the subjects that help people move toward purpose whenever we want. So you could use this at the end of a one-to-one. -one. You could use it at a certainly at a um, at a uh, performance review meeting where we're talking about what's next, uh, or a development meeting, uh, or you know just as a, you know out to dinner and wanting to do a catch-up. Uh, these kinds of questions they help point people toward purpose in a very direct way. The more of them that we can engage, the better, uh, but uh, any of them are actually a gateway in. So the first one is to ask what people are good at doing, and this, this really helps people anchor back to their strengths. So what do you, you, know, what do, you do on a, on a given day that you think you're better at than just about anybody else? What's come easily to you? What comes easily to you now in your job? Uh, those questions get at what people are good at doing. Uh, the second area of questioning what are what people enjoy doing. Uh, now we hope that's what people are good at doing, but often it's not. Uh, this is how people wind up in careers that they're you know very successful at, but they don't enjoy uh, because it's just because you're good at it doesn't mean you enjoy it. Uh, and so the enjoying you know asking is around uh, you know what what uh, what work do you do that gets you in the flow? What makes time pass? Uh, what would you do if you weren't even paid to do it? You know, what do you what do you see on your schedule for the week and say, well, this is going to be a great week because I get to work on this. Um, where is the enjoyment in that work? The third piece of it is in usefulness. Usefulness might sound like a kind of a, a funny word to put here, uh, but we're inspired when we're in work that's useful. And so if you've ever had busy work to do where you knew you had to do something, but you also knew it wasn't really going to go anywhere, you know how uninspiring that is to do. Uh, so helping people to anchor back and point out what's useful about the work. How is it supporting a larger goal? How, what's important about the work that you're doing? Uh, it helps to remind people of what's useful. Uh, fourth component here is forward momentum. Uh, and this is uh, you know the idea that we're most inspired when we're doing something that's helping to propel us forward. I mean, inspiration has a direction and it's not backward, it's forward. Uh, we want to be looking at what's next, we want to be looking at what's possible, what's ahead. Uh, and so forward momentum is helping people kind of anchor back to uh, what it is about their work that's preparing them for something else. Uh, what can you do with what you're learning now? Um, how is this helping you uh, get to the next place? Uh, what What is this doing to develop you as a person where you are? It doesn't always have to be about you know what's next. It can also be about sort of personally, how's it growing, helping you to grow. Uh, and then finally, in relationship to others. A relationship to others is, you know, the idea that when when people talk about what's inspiring to them, if if you anyone thinks about their peak performance at work, it's it's rarely, and I've actually never heard this. I'm sure it's not impossible, but I've never heard somebody say my peak performance at work is when I'm sitting by myself, uh, behind, uh, you know, the screen, and I'm, you know, just working solo all the time. At some point, even if you're a writer and you love writing, at some point there's an intersection with other people. Uh, so being in relationship with others in a place that really works for us is, is a key part of, of purpose. And even if it, you know, it's not the people that you work with, often the question is, how does your work help you be in relationship to people in the rest of your life uh, that, that's in a way that uh, inspires you? I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who are in a job that, uh, you know, they could do with their eyes closed, uh, but it allows them to spend more time with their family and a critical part of their, you know, their children's development, for example, and that's inspiring to them. It really serves a helpful purpose and, and points them forward in that direction. 
So we can bring these topics up whenever we want. Uh, and by the way, these are also great ones to journal on yourself personally if you want to get yourself in a more inspired place uh, to really do some thinking on this. Like how much is my own purpose reflected and do I need to remind myself or make some changes so that I have more purpose in my own work? Another way that we can think about bringing up purpose is through uh, action identification theory. And this is a concept that was introduced to me through Adam Grant, who wrote uh, Give and Take, and most recently uh, Plan B, um, or Option B, rather, uh, and uh, with Sheryl Sandberg. And, and so he, he talked about uh, how we can identify any action uh, through different levels. And so you can think of them as a ladder. So. You know, if we have, if you think about on the left side here, if we have a, an employee, for example, who is working on a product memo, um, at the most basic level, that person's putting words on a page, right? That's that's what they're doing. Uh, next level, they're clarifying ideas. Next level, they're brainstorming. At the highest level, they're creating the next innovation. And the higher we can help people walk up that ladder, the more purpose led their work will be. So we can point out purpose by helping people keep going up the ladder and as leaders we're generally on a higher rung at a higher place than the people that work for us. So if you think about it, at the top of the mountain you can see more than the people who are lower down. So we're helping people see what we see by helping them walk up this action identification theory model. This aligns with another way that I talk about it, which is levels of purpose. Uh, so if we think about a small p purpose, which is the purpose of what we're doing right now, I'm working on this memo, so the purpose is that I'm helping you know, with this product, to our big p purpose, which is our life's purpose, kind of the why am I here question, which is really tough to get into at work. Like, how do we even bring that up? If you can, great. But you know, that's, that's a, a daunting conversation for a lot of people. Uh, but there's another place to play, and that's right here in the middle um, with this middle P purpose. And this is a great place for leaders to make an impact around purpose. And middle P purpose is a contextualized purpose. It really is about how is what I'm doing now helping me move forward to something that I want for myself. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a client who was in a very chaotic environment uh, where they were going through restructuring and there was a ton of change. Uh, and she was just feeling very overwhelmed and trying to figure out, you know, should I stay? What am I doing here? Uh, and when through our work, you know, she realized that her middle P purpose was she was learning because she wanted to eventually be a CEO. Uh, she was learning so much because she was exposed to so uh, such a higher level of work than she normally would be because there weren't people in those roles. So she was able to step in and she was able to really extract a lot of learning from the chaos. And that really played to her middle P purpose, which is to, to learn these skills at the most advanced rate she could so that she would be able to be a CEO. Uh, and so so that that's what there's what that middle purpose plays, middle P purpose plays. And again, as leaders, if we can help people see that. Uh, then we're going to be in a more purpose-led and more inspiring place. So two different ways to think about it, whatever one works for you. Um, the idea is that we're willing to be in purpose uh, conversations, we're role modeling, talking about our own purpose, and that creates a space for other people to feel like, hey, it's okay. You know, it's not something that makes me uh, entitled or whining to be thinking about purpose, but it's okay to really want to have more purpose in my work uh, and to see and be actively looking for what that purpose might be. So just to recap, uh, some of the things that we talked about today, if we want to be more inspirational, if we want to be that trigger, here are some things we can do. Uh, we can say and commit to be present in key conversations. Super easy, powerful impact. 
Uh, we can use open-ended questions, those curious questions that begin with what and how. We can practice shifting our listening. We can highlight potential in others. We can calibrate our energy to the situation. Go in thinking about what kind of energy do I want to use here and how do I dial it up or down. We can use emotion words and share stories and we can talk about purpose and role model our own. Be vocal about our own purpose. And all of this leads to you know, what I call it's this virtuous cycle of inspiration. Inspiration is good to the third if you want uh, to think about it that way. It's, it's good because it builds uh, inspired, motivated, engaged teams. Uh, we have we have inspired teams. We have uh, you know a, a greater capacity uh, at our at our um, within our organization to achieve more and to do more. Uh, it also brings positivity into the environment. And when people feel positivity, they feel less fear, they feel less threat, uh, and they're more creative and innovative. And it allows uh, those good feelings to to create all of the uh, you know the things that we want to see more of in our organizations, like risk taking uh, and higher achievement. Uh, and finally, when we're inspirational to others, it comes back to us in so many forms. Uh, we have people who want to work for us. We have people who uh, want to support us even when they leave the organization and do something uh, different. They refer people back to us. They talk highly of us uh, and build our own networks and reputations. And they it also inspires us in turns. So when we're inspiring to other people, it reminds us of what's inspirational to us. Uh, and so it, it keeps us in our own virtuous cycle as well. Uh, and so that is uh, kind of an overview of the inspiration code. I hope that gave you some ideas. I try to be very practical with this stuff, take an, a concept that's a little lofty uh, and bring it down to an everyday level. Uh, if you're interested, this is how to find me. Uh, I have a I blog, uh, I have a, uh, my website here and newsletter. There's some free tools there, including if you sign up for the newsletter, uh, a model of the Inspire Path that takes you down all the things we talked about today and more where you can see how uh, you know you can go through each conversation it's a, it's a conversation guide uh, to be more inspirational and you can find me here at LinkedIn Facebook or Twitter uh, if you want to ask any questions or simply stay in touch I would thank you so much uh, today for uh, coming and joining the webinar and I hope you were inspired thank you Christy and thanks to all the participants in today's webinar for more information on upcoming webinars and other Soundview products, please visit our website at www.summary.com. Thanks, and have a great day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.